0: Start your morning with the CNN Daily News Briefing. In just three minutes, we'll tell you about the stories that are making headlines around the world. To listen, tell your smart speaker to play the CNN Daily News Briefing or find us in your favorite podcast
1: app. Good evening. We begin tonight with breaking news. New indications of just how seriously President Trump is now taking the impeachment inquiry and how seriously he's pushing to keep Republican senators, potential jurors, remember, in line. C Adam Perez is breaking the news. He joins us now. What have you learned?
2: Well, Anderson, uh, one of the things we've learned is that uh, the president is is so consumed with this impeachment inquiry uh, that he's now calling Senator McConnell as many as three times a day. Now, this is something that the, the, the majority leader uh, has had to deal with before. At the height of the Mueller inquiry, uh, the president was so exercised that he was doing the same thing. Now, what what he's uh, the president is worrying about is keeping senators in line. He is worried about disloyal senators. Some something he's already uh, started tweeting about in recent. Uh, days, he says that some senators are not being uh, loyal enough and that should they should be holding the line. Now, this is something that McConnell is going to have to be dealing with for the long term, obviously. He wants to make sure uh, senators who are going to be the jurors, should uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats uh, impeach the president, he's going to need those people to hold uh, the line. And the president is increasingly lashing out, telling uh, the, the, uh, the, the majority leader that uh, he believes that some of these senators uh, need to hold the line on what the White House is telling them to do.
1: Um, Evan, stay with us, because I want to bring in CNN legal analyst Laura Coates, CNN senior political analyst David Gergen as well, and CNN political commentator Joe Lockhart. He, of course, served as press secretary in the Clinton White House and is currently co-host of the podcast Words Matter. David, uh, first of all, what do you make of Evan's reporting? Uh, Because the whole notion that the president is conducting business as usual and isn't solely focused and consumed by the impeachment inquiry, if he's calling McConnell three times a day, that seems to suggest otherwise. Hmm.
3: It does. He's been aptly compared to King Lear, uh, you know, fighting off the, the darkness. Uh, and I, he's obviously preoccupied, uh, and I can under, you can understand why. But I must tell you, in none of the reporting about what he's preoccupied with, is there any mention of what's good for the country, the principles we ought to have as a people, what it is he's trying to uphold. It is all about personal survival and you know, personally you know, beating the other side.
1: Well, it's also, David, about revealing who the whistleblower is, which, again, I understand why he wants that for his own uh, reasons. But in terms of for the good of the country, I mean, if if he reveals if the whistleblower is blown on this and revealed, I mean, that's a chilling message for anyone else who may ever want to even consider being one.
3: I, I think that if he, he were to blow the cover of the whistleblower and whatever by whatever nefarious means, they could potentially add that to another charge on the impeachment. That that would in effect be an obstruction because he really is trying to, to put a chill uh, on anyone else coming forward. Uh, and by the way, he's obviously subjecting the person who is the whistleblower to enormous personal risk.
1: Yeah, Joe, I mean, even by, you know, saying publicly. This person is not a real whistleblower. This person is a liar. Uh, I'm not even sure this person exists. There's a tantamount of being a spy. We don't want spies in the White House. Uh, I mean, he is sending a message to other whistleblowers and trying to intimidate them. What do you make, though, Joe, of, of calling McConnell, according to Evan Perez, to three times a day, telling him he's going to amplify attacks on Republicans who criticize him?
4: Well, he's, he's worried about the right problem, which is his problem is not with Democrats. Democrats, he's lost. Uh, he, his firewall is the Republicans and the Republican senators in particular. Um, a strategy of going after them and trying to intimidate them works when you're in a position of strength. His position is weakening day by day, so I don't know uh, that that will work. You know, in in, in 1998 with President Clinton, we f- focused almost all of our efforts on Democratic senators because that's you know w- that's what protected us. Uh, but I, I completely agree with what David's saying. You know, it's the the big difference between then and now is this president is consumed with it. And he's letting the public know he's consumed with it. He's he's not worried about the the people. He's not worried about his job. He spends all day long and increasingly all night long tweeting about this, whining about it, showing how afraid he is. And he's he's revealing. And I think it's it very much weakens his case. And if you're a Republican senator, you're looking and you know you don't like the trend,
1: uh, Lord. Just from a legal standpoint, I mean, has he already set himself up? Uh for more, perhaps more obstruction charges, or at least compounding the the, the things he's already said?
5: He is compounding it. What he's doing essentially is giving more ammunition to say that he is going to engage in obstruction of Congress, essentially. From this, the president saying, I'm the law and order president. And one of the roles of the president of the United States is to faithfully execute the laws and ensure they're actually being executed. If he's taking a suspicion and saying, look, I'm not even going to comply with the subpoena at this junction, where we are right now, Anderson is saying, this is before even one article of impeachment has been drafted. He's saying he's not going to cooperate. He wants to be a part of the investigation. He wants to know as if it was a grand jury witness. He wants to know who that person is and sit in on the proceedings, essentially. That is not done. It's really a premature request and a premature anxiety. But on the other hand, doesn't this help his court of public opinion argument that says, Look what happens when you have an impeachment. Your president is being consumed. Your president is being consumed by things other than what you care about in terms of kitchen table issues. Healthcare is not in my wheelhouse right now. Gun control is not an issue for me right now. It's this. And in that vein, about polling and thinking about that, that has an impact on whether the public is carried along. But that larger issue of abuse of power, that's still going to be there. And the more he abuses it, the more ammunition they get.
1: I'm not sure gun control or health care has ever been in his wheelhouse, but... (laughs) Evan, what more are you learning about the the president's (laughs) overall view of this impeachment fight?
2: Well, look, I mean, he looks at this, Anderson, as a purely political thing. And that's the reason why, you know, in these in these phone calls with Mitch McConnell, he is pressing him uh, to keep, try to keep these Republican senators in line. He believes uh, that, you know, the strategy here is simply to make sure that this is a partisan issue. Uh, this is about his reelection after all. And by the way, uh, I should note, I, I failed to mention that uh, we reached out to co- for comment from uh, Mitch McConnell's office. And we did get a, a comment from uh, Doug Andres. And I'll read you just a part of it. It says uh, that. They're disputing that Mitch McConnell w- ever related some of this to to some of his fellow Republicans, and he says, uh, "We, uh, where is it here? Okay, uh, th- this story, based on a single uh, anonymous source, is categorically false. Leader McConnell never said anything like this. Again, they're disputing that Mitch McConnell has told fellow fellow Republicans about some of his interactions with the president, uh, and you can understand why the president and Mitch McConnell uh, have forged a very tight uh, relationship in the past year. This, despite you know, for, for so long, the president was criticizing establishment figures like Mitch McConnell. He needs Mitch McConnell very, very much now. And Mitch McConnell, frankly, needs the president to stay focused in order to protect him.
1: David, the president is also going after the person or persons who gave the information to the whistleblower, saying he doesn't want to have spies in the White House. It's interesting to me that he's so focused on the whistleblower because it seems like the whistleblower at this point isn't even really the the question anymore. I mean, everything the whistleblower has said has turned out to be true or mostly true. And there's the transcript and the president's own comments, which prove that.
3: Well, I I think that that it's conceivable the whistleblower has some details um, that haven't been drawn out yet. Uh, And so I I wouldn't dismiss the whistleblower's account. I do think it could have some importance. Uh, But I I also think, though, Anderson... When the American people have a sense that he, the rage and the obsession and the sort of the craziness uh, that's coming out of the White House, that's going to make more and more people feel uncomfortable about having him serve as president for another term. I think this is the way he is acting is making it worse, not better, uh, in, in my judgment. Uh, for his uh, command and, and leadership of the country.
1: Joe, it's interesting, though, to hear uh, Evans reporting w- uh, that the president is concerned that, you know, senators aren't being loyal enough. Really, the senators haven't really most Republican senators haven't really said anything uh, uh, other than Mitt Romney. Uh, they have been critical of the what the president has done to the Kurds, uh, the betrayal of, of the Kurds. Um, I, I'm not sure if that's part of his calculus that he doesn't like what Lindsey Graham is going around saying. Uh, and that's part of this.
4: Yeah, listen, I think yes, there's a there, the, the, sorry. Sorry, so, Joe.
1: Go, yeah. go ahead, Joe.
4: I think there's been a little bit of a trickle. And I think that worries uh, the president and his team. You've seen Senator Collins, Senator Portman, Senator Sasse uh, uh, say things like, you know, the president shouldn't be reaching out to China and, you know, making that while staying silent on Ukraine, I, you know, listen. The president's relationship with both the House and the Senate, when anyone has crossed him, is to try to crush them. Uh, you know, Mark Sanford's running for president right now because he crossed the president, and the president got him defeated in a in a primary. He has a stranglehold on the Republican Party right now. Um, the The problem is these senators, many of whom are up for re-election in in the cycle in two thousand twenty, and have to face their voters. Um, are, are sitting and waiting to see what else will come out, and that's what this big struggle is. Will will the president be able to keep all of the details? You know at the White House and and keep Congress from getting them, because as this gets worse, Republicans will make a calculation at some point, uh, uh, you know, whether it's in their interest to continue supporting the president. That's what the president is so fearful of.
1: Yeah. Joe, David, stick around. Uh, Laura, thanks. I know you need to, to go work on your live 11 o'clock show, White House in Crisis, that we encourage everyone to watch tonight. Coming up next, former National Security Advisor Susan Rice on the president's recent decisions and actions on the impeachment question, as well as in northern Syria. And later, Vice President Pence, who, as you know, has spoken out several times against foreign interference in U.S. elections. But that, of course, was a long time ago. We'll ask him if he still believes it now. Before the break, David Gergen referred to the way the president is acting and how it's affecting his presidency, which on top of the breaking news is really part of a larger question tonight. Namely, are we now witnessing what people, including those who used to be close to President Trump, have long worried and, frankly, warned about. Are we seeing on several fronts the consequences of a president without guardrails, without what used to be called, fairly or not, the adults in the room, people who at the very least had experience and could steer him away from impulsive decisions and protect him against his own worse instincts? Advisors to stop him, for instance, if only in his own best interest, from leveling a threat today at the whistleblower whose complaint touched off the whole Ukraine affair. The president is saying that the whistleblower, he or she, should be, quote, exposed and should not be protected. Are we witnessing the effects of their absence or lack of influence? Are we also seeing the lack of so-called adults in his surprise decision after a call with Turkey's president to pull troops out of northern Syria, which has now led to a Turkish invasion aimed at this country's staunchest ally in the fight against ISIS? Whatever the answer tonight, a whistleblower who's entitled by law to protection from a boss's retaliation is now facing an open call for just that from the president of the United States, the president who's supposed to uphold the rights and protections that are enshrined in our laws, even if they're not in his personal best interests. This president cannot do that. It is all about him. It always has been and likely always will be. Tonight, whatever else you might think about the larger American involvement in the Middle East, the Kurds who fought and died alongside U.S. troops who did the bulk of the fighting, 10,000 dead, are now being bombed by Turkey. Some will almost certainly die in the wake of the president's reportedly snap decision. So tonight, the broadcast is dominated by that and the whistleblower story. Two manifestations, it seems, of this same question. What happens when the guardrails go away? you are going to hear in a moment from Susan Rice, who served as national security advisor in the Obama administration and whose strong thoughts on the subject. But first, here's what President Trump said just this afternoon about the whistleblower.
6: What the whistleblower said bore no relationship to what the call was. Then it turns out that the whistleblower was in cahoots with Schiff. Then it turns out that the whistleblower is a Democrat, strong Democrat, and is working with one of my opponents as a Democrat that I might end up running against. When you see what the whistleblower said about the phone call, and it was totally different, he made it up. And I don't know why a person that defrauds the American public should be protected.
1: All right. Keep it honest. In order, the Intelligence Community Whistleblower Act specifically makes reprisals or threats of reprisals subject to so-called urgent concern complaints that need to be passed on to Congress. There's no evidence the whistleblower was in cahoots with anyone, and the president offered none. As for the president's claim that the whistleblower's account of the call is radically different from the rough transcript, not the word-for-word transcript, uh, which we have not seen, if there is one, That's not true either. The very first words on it after Ukrainian President Zelensky inquires about U.S. military aid, badly needed, desperately needed aid to fight Russians, is President Trump saying, and I quote, I'd like you to do me a favor, though, followed by pressure to investigate the, the Bidens faced with evidence in the president's own words on the president's own transcript that contradict what the president himself keeps saying. Wouldn't a so-called adult in the room try to stop the president from making such easily disprovable claims? Similarly, would he or she try to stop the president from saying this about the staunch U.S. allies now under bombardment tonight?
6: Now, the Kurds are fighting for their land, just so you understand. They're fighting for their land. And as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today... They didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with Normandy, as an example. They mentioned names of different battles. They were there, but they're there to help us with their land. And that's a different thing.
1: Well, it's hard to know what that even means. But the president seems to be suggesting that the Kurds have always just been in it for themselves. And that they didn't help us in Normandy in World War II. More than 10,000 Kurds have been killed in the fight against ISIS. We... uh, a fight, by the way, that we asked them to undertake. He also said this.
6: Well, they're going to be escaping to Europe. That's where they want to go. They want to go back to their homes, but Europe didn't want them from us. We could have given it to them. They could have had trials. They could have done whatever they wanted. But as usual, uh, it's not reciprocal. You know, my favorite word, reciprocal. That's all I want. I don't want an edge. I just want reciprocal.
1: Whatever you make of all that, the president has taken steps that have now exposed them to what could become mass slaughter. He's caused alarm among other allies in the region, including Saudi Arabia and Israel, and he has triggered a rebellion among many Republican lawmakers, including the very senators who may one day hold his political future in their hands. Whatever you think of the president's statements, decisions or policies writ large, does any of this look like anything but a president determined to say and do what his gut and no one else tells him to say and do anything to protect himself? And I misspoke on what he said to Zelensky. He said uh, to do do. I would like you to do us a favor. Perspective now from former National Security Advisor Susan Rice, who's also the author of Tough Love, my story of the things worth fighting for. The book is just out this week. I, I want to talk to you about your book because there's a lot in it. Um, I do want to start, though, with just the latest on. President Trump's comments about the whistleblower. He tweeted today that the whistleblower should be exposed and questioned properly and now is saying that the whistleblower has perpetrated a fraud and therefore doesn't shouldn't have any sort of protections at all. When you hear this from a sitting president of the United States, I mean, I know on Election Day, I wrote in your book, you said you kind of convinced yourself maybe it won't be as bad as the campaign. Day. day after. Yeah. Maybe it won't be as bad. It, it, can you imagine a president of the United States calling for the... Uh, essentially whistleblower protections to be completely tossed out the window?
7: Anderson, it's appalling. And it's so much worse than I imagined. Every day, uh, a lie, a disparagement, um, and a, a trashing of the institutions and the norms that we all believe have held us together. And what's so extraordinary is it's all about him. I mean, we talk about foreign policy, and he says his doctrine is America first. What I think we're seeing is it's really me first, and that's how he is governing. Everything is about him. And so the notion that you could attack a whistleblower with legal protections in our system, which is set up to enable transparency and to guard against precisely the kinds of abuses he's perpetrating— and to assume that that's therefore—he's called it worse than that. He's called it close to being a spy, yeah. treason in effect. He's not just alleged. the whistleblower,
1: but the people who the whistleblower talked to in the yeah. White House.
7: So he is arrogating to himself uh, the, it, the 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 institutions of the state. He it's, is. He is, he, he is the I, state. Yeah. I am the state. Right. That, that's what we're seeing now. It's that—that that is not an exaggeration. That's how serious it is.
1: It, It clearly seems, I mean, I don't know how much of what he does is really truly by design or just instinctual, but it certainly has got to send a chilling message to anybody else in the government about the possibility of coming forward. I mean, it, it would stop, I think, a lot of people from considering coming forward.
7: Well, it could. But I think what we're seeing, in fact, is more people come forward. Now we have a second whistleblower with firsthand experience of what happened, corroborating exactly what's already out there. And indeed, President Trump's own transcript corroborates exactly what's in the whistleblower's uh, statement. So I actually think, Anderson, that we have enough patriots still working in this government all throughout the agencies who have to be deeply disturbed about this.
1: When you hear um, the president saying repeatedly "There, it was the perfect phone call, nothing wrong with it, um, then asking China for help, uh, that China should investigate uh, the Bidens. I mean, you've read the transcript of the call. The, the president clearly believes in just repeating a lie over and over and over again until everybody becomes so exhausted they exactly. just give up and. And, just and he let confuses them have
7: it. people. Yeah, it, that, confuses that's, people. that's his whole tactic. That's how he has, you know, that's how he has arrogated to himself so much power. He's got several tactics that he repeats. One, lie, lie, lie. Two, confuse, deflect. Uh, And three, what we're seeing in this Biden thing is take what is Trump's greatest weakness, the perception that he's corrupt, that his children are corrupt, that they've used the office to enrich themselves and try to make it his opponent's greatest vulnerability.
1: When you went on the the Sunday shows and talked about the early reports and the intelligence community assessment of what had happened in Benghazi, and it was very early reporting, some of it was not accurate, and you pointed out that it was early reporting, that obviously brought you into a whole maelstrom, and you would dedicate an entire chapter to this. Um, You've seen, you've had people on Capitol Hill making up stuff about you. You've had people on Capitol Hill, you know, for political reasons going after you. Um, When you see what the Republicans, the silence on the side of the Republicans regarding the president on Ukraine, regarding the president on China, I mean, asking a regime like China to investigate, you know, the Bidens is, I mean, I I don't even really know what to say about it. But um, when you see the Republicans' response to this, senators and, and, and congresspeople, does it does it surprise you? Even with all you've seen, does that surprise you, the silence? Or the saying, oh, he's only kidding?
7: It's galling, and it's disappointing. You know, uh, Congress set up eight committees to investigate Benghazi. Not one of them found that I deliberately misled the American people, including the one led by Trey Gowdy, who's now going to apparently defend Donald Trump. Uh, what we see now is Mike Pompeo, who is you know, one of the most avid prosecutors uh, of the Benghazi uh, so-called scandal, refusing to cooperate at all with Congress. The Obama administration provided documents. They provided testimony. Secretary Clinton sat for 11 hours. I sat for four hours before uh, Gowdy and, and his crew behind closed doors. You know why? Because we had nothing to hide.
1: The situation in Turkey, the president said today, the Kurds are fighting for their land. And as as somebody wrote in a very, very powerful article today, they didn't help us in the Second World War. They didn't help us with Normandy as an example. And in addition to that, we have spent tremendous amounts of money on helping the Kurds. I'm not sure what the article he's talking about. What is he smoking? Yeah, I mean.
7: I I mean, (laughs) (laughs) the Kurds were the pointy end of the spear who fought ISIS on our behalf.
1: 10,000 casualties.
7: They bled and died because they believed in the partnership they had established with the United States. They believed that ju- they would
1: be protected Absolutely. and honored.
7: Yes. And we just threw them under the bus in 24 hours. It's appalling. And, and it's, it's disgraceful. And then today, when the Turks quite predictably are bombing the bejesus out of Syria... And Trump allegedly orders the U.S. military not to come to their defense, not to protect them. We've crossed a Rubicon here of betrayal that I think we're, is going to haunt us for decades to come.
1: I mean, you know, the, the end of uh, when South Vietnam finally fell, there were a lot of uh, people who had helped the United States left behind um, who weren't evacuated. You know, there has been... Criticism of, of not enough visas have been given to Iraqi translators and Afghan translators who risk their All lives. All
7: of which is wrong. But this is an order of magnitude worse than that. We are handing over our Kurdish allies to slaughter. And that blood is going to be on Donald Trump's hands.
1: Uh, the book is tough love. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, coming up next, Joe Biden's big announcement today on impeachment. We'll be right back. Our breaking news, a source tells CNN uh, that President Trump is phoning Mitch McConnell as many as three times a day, lashing out in his conversations with the majority leader about senators he sees as disloyal over the impeachment issue. This comes as polls show a clear majority of Americans in favor of the House impeachment inquiry. The latest one is from Fox News, showing 51 percent of those polled believe the president should be impeached and removed. That's up nine points from July. That's a Fox News poll. Only 40 percent believe he should not be impeached. Today, Joe Biden stood before New Hampshire voters in Rochester and for the first time called for President Trump's impeachment.
8: To preserve our constitution, our democracy, our basic integrity, he should be impeached. We have to remember that impeachment isn't only, isn't only about what the president's done. It's about the threat the president poses to the nation if allowed to remain in office.
1: Well, President Trump later called the comments, quote, pathetic. Back with me are David Gergen and Joe Lockhart. David, uh, what do you make of former vice president coming out publicly in support of impeachment? Uh, Wouldn't surprise many people, I suppose. But did it surprise you?
3: I thought it's about time. You know, I've been surprised, frankly, Anderson, that he hasn't been more on the forefront. He's been as cautious as he has been all the way along. Uh, one of the reasons i think elizabeth warren has done so well is that she was out early she was back last spring calling for impeachment uh, inquiry uh, and she's been tough about it and one of the big questions that uh, democrats are going to want to resolve is not only who's got a better chance of winning but who's going to be more effective against trump in a debate and a wrestling match on a debate and so far she's done pretty well in that in that uh, category
6: Joe,
1: you saw Biden today also nudge the president on not releasing his tax returns. Ambassador Rice brought this up earlier. It is sort of an easy issue to turn on its head. Like, does President Trump really want to be talking about family finances and, and children's salaries?
4: Yeah, I mean, he's, he, it's, uh, I think Ambassador Rice uh, articulated it very well, which is, and it's an old tactic of the Republicans, which is take your own weakness and project it on your opponent. You remember John Kerry was swift voted by someone who avoided serving uh, in Vietnam, and John Kerry is a decorated war hero. And it works if you don't fight against it. So I think uh, you've seen in the last couple of days uh, Vice President Biden doing what I think is the right thing, which is you can't let these things, you can't chase every uh, Trump charge down a rabbit hole, but you can't let something take hold. And you've got to push back. And I think he's done that. Uh, I I agree with David that also that he has been late on impeachment. Uh, This should have come earlier. I would argue, though, that some of the candidates uh, were too early on it. It's critical that the public doesn't see this as 1998 revisited as a partisan act to punish the president and remove him, but as a constitutional act to keep him from doing more harm from the country. So I think the vice president was right on today. I just wish he'd done it a little bit earlier.
1: Well, David, what's interesting, I mean, you uh, talk about uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, she's one of the people in the Senate who would be called on essentially as a jury uh, on, on the president uh, and yet, as you said, she was out front in, in calling for his impeachment.
3: Well, that's right. And I think we've got a pretty good idea how she'll vote if it gets to the Senate. Um, but nonetheless, I, I, you know, I just think that this is a time when, when issues facing the country are so grave that a person who wants to be president or president, a person who is president needs to go before the country occasionally with a very thoughtful speech Trying to help us understand the gravity of what we're going through, how it has to be done with great respect for traditions, it needs to have a bipartisan quality, and and, and in effect, be presidential. You know, those big speeches. That's what I've been missing in this campaign: is give us get take stand up there for 20 or 30 minutes and really explore something in a serious way. So far, we haven't had a lot of that. The debates are helpful, but I sure'd like to put a little more seriousness at times.
1: David Gergen, Joe Lockhart, appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up next, one of many Republicans on Capitol Hill who are upset tonight at what some in the GOP have called the betrayal of our Kurdish allies by President Trump. As President Trump lashes out in phone calls to Mitch McConnell about Republicans being disloyal during the impeachment inquiry, according to a new CNN report tonight, Republicans uh, are angry, some Republicans are angry, over his abandonment of Kurdish allies. A senior U.S. defense official tells CNN tonight that Turkey's incursion into Syria, quote, has already had a detrimental effect on our counter-ISIS operations. They have effectively stopped. In fact, that's what some Republicans predicted. This is the pre-9-11 right. mentality that paved the way for 9-11. What's happening in Afghanistan is no concern to us. So if he follows through with this, it'd be the biggest mistake of his presidency. The thing I believe, if you make a commitment and somebody is fighting with you, America should keep their word. Right. Alice Jenny tweeted this, quote, News from Syria is sickening. Turkish troops preparing to invade Syria from the north. Russian-backed forces from the south. ISIS fighters attacking Raqqa. Impossible to understand why Donald Trump is leaving America's allies to be slaughtered and enabling the return of ISIS. They're not alone. Mitch McConnell, Marco Rubio, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, Ben Sass, Peter King, Pat Toomey, Ted Cruz, Nikki Haley, all Republican, all critical, as is my next guest, been as well, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, who sits on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Congressman, thanks for being with us. I'm wondering, you bet. why do you think the president has gone to the mat on this? Why is he giving Turkey such a pass? Was it just an impromptu thing in a phone call with Erdogan?
0: I think it's all of it. I think the president makes very impulsive decisions on foreign policy. I think he made an impulsive decision without thinking through the results of that. I think Erdogan somehow convinced him with stars in his eyes that he was gonna be humane. Um, and, and, you know, the reality of this is it's disgusting. It's, it's sickening. It's sad. Think about the fact that the Kurds have taken 10,000 deaths in this fight against ISIS because we didn't want to put troops on the ground. So they did it for us. We on the conversely have lost 17 in combat throughout this whole campaign. Um, we lost basically in Iraq and Afghanistan close to 7,000 people. So think about the impact that's had on the Kurds, but they stood with the United States because they believe in us. And they could easily have turned to Iran. They could easily have turned anywhere else. They stood with the United States of America. And because of a conversation with a basically dictator, President Trump pulled 50 soldiers, 50 people back. And those 50 people were holding back a Turkish attack. Those 50 people who I'm sure every one of them were in tears when they heard this, these 50 special operators. Um, are, are watching this horrified as we all are.
1: I, I think what the point you make is an important one to, to point out. We're talking about 50 uh, U.S. service members, and I'm not in any way indicating that 50 is not an important number. And, and uh, you know, there's concern, obviously, about their safety. And that's one of the things the president has said. But if the idea is we can't have these endless wars, we want to bring troops home, we're not talking about thousands of troops here. We're talking about 50 oh. who have held off uh, this advance from Turkey. But their presence alone has stopped Turkey from uh, from their ambitions in in the territory that the Kurds believe is theirs.
0: Two quick points. On the endless wars thing that you hear from now the president, but Rand Paul for forever, uh, it's not our choice to do an endless war. It's really been the terrorists. They're the ones that haven't changed their goals. They haven't changed what they wanted to do. And, uh, and secondly, look, 50 American troops there. This is exactly what people like the president and like Rand Paul and some of those were advocating for when they said we don't want 100,000 troops in Syria. They were talking about putting special operators to train indigenous forces to fight for us. That's exactly what this mission is. And for no reason, no discernible reason, the president woke up one morning and tweeted a bunch of tweets, changed the whole dynamic of the Middle East, and abandoned an ally. And it's disgusting.
1: You're a veteran. You've served in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. You, as a Congress member, have met with the Kurds. You've gone there. Um, obviously, there are security concerns, legitimate, some legitimate ones that Turkey has about uh, you know, uh, terrorist attacks uh, by, uh, uh, by Kurds uh, in Turkey. Uh, but to paint the Kurds with such a broad brush, right. seems just myopic. It just seems unfair.
0: It, it is. I mean, you, you think about the, I think, thirteen or fifteen million uh, Kurds in Turkey. Iraq has around six, and Syria around two. It's a big population, and there is an issue with the PKK, this terrorist group. Uh, and, and you know, Turkey has every right to defend itself against terrorist attacks. But the idea. That we would embolden we would actually supply, equip, stand with the the Kurds who are not PKK to defeat ISIS, and then for no reason pull out. And by the way, ten thousand ISIS members are being held in cells. Where are they going to go? They're not going to go yeah. to Europe. They're not. G- they're going to go back onto the battlefield. The president's biggest promise in the campaign wasn't to get out of all these wars.
1: It was to defeat ISIS. Does it make any sense to you that he said, "Well, the Kurds, you know, they're fighting for their land. They didn't help us in World War II and Normandy," and then he talks about ISIS saying. Well, they're gonna go to Europe as though that's okay.
0: Yeah, so first off, I love Europe and I hope there's no terrorist attack there. Uh, That's what America used to stand for. We're bigger than what we've become lately. And uh, and the Normandy thing is I don't get it. I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, the, the Kurds weren't there were probably some Kurds ethnicity in Normandy somewhere. But, yeah, they, they didn't invade with us. I don't right. hold that against them. There's a few right. other Germany that
1: didn't either. Germany didn't help us in World War II either. We seem to be allies with them uh, right. now. Uh, Congressman uh, Kinsinger thank you very much. Appreciate it. Vice President Pence is on the road yep. in Iowa. So is Randy Kay. Up next, what he had to say to Randy about foreign interference in America's political process. Check in with Chris, see what he's working on for Cuomo Prime Time, Chris? All right, there's
0: a lot going on, as we all know, Anderson. And tonight our challenge is to make sense of it from the perspectives of the challenges on both sides. Got Senator Angus King. Uh, what does he think about what's happening in the House? What does he think about what's coming his way? What does he think that right after the president said, we're going to get out of Syria... You now have the Turks making a move on the Kurds. And how can this not be a bloodbath? Uh, We're also going to talk to Congressman Slotkin about this. You know her background uh, from the intelligence and Pentagon perspective. She worked on deconfliction in Syria. She wants us to know what the big risks are that are immediately ahead. And then we're going to test the president's new arguments about why this impeachment is unfair with one of his faithful conservative friends, Matt Schlapp.
1: All right, Chris, thanks very much. We'll see you in about nine minutes up next our randy Kay asked vice president pence whether he has changed his mind about what he said during the 2016 election you know that foreign governments should not interfere in america's elections be right back 360's randy Kay has been in iowa for the last couple of days trying to get answers from republican officials about the whistleblower complaint president trump in ukraine last night she tried to pin down iowa republican senator joni ernst about it she was met with a string of non-answers Tonight, she tried to get some questions to Vice President Mike Pence. And before we show you his exchange with Randy, there are two pieces of sound that you need to hear. The first is what then candidate for Vice President Mike Pence said during the 2016 campaign about whether foreigners should interfere in American elections.
8: Now, you all need to know out there, this is this is basic stuff. Foreign donors and certainly foreign governments cannot participate in the American political process.
1: Wow. Okay, it's basic stuff, he said. Golly gee, seems simple, right? Here's the second piece of sound, this time from the president less less than a week ago on the South Lawn of the White House talking about Ukraine.
6: They should investigate the Bidens, because how does a company that's newly formed and all these companies, if you look at and by the way, likewise, China should start an investigation into the Bidens.
1: Remember, Marco Rubio said that was a joke. Clearly it's not. So, Randy, you had a chance to ask the vice president about all this. How'd that go?
9: Well, Anderson, uh, it was interesting to say the least. We started by asking him about those 2016 comments that you just played about a foreign government uh, taking part or, or weighing in on the American political process. And um, he sort of uh, took a turn from there. Here's a look. Mr. Vice President, during the campaign 2016, you had said that uh, foreign governments cannot participate in the American political process. Do you still stand by that today?
8: Well, I do. I think that's why President Trump uh, is so concerned about foreign interference in our election in Ukraine. If you read the transcript, you will see that the president said to President Zelensky that our country had been through a lot, and then he had a question about foreign interference in our 2016 election. I mean, to be honest with you, when, when did you all lose interest in foreign interference in the 2016 election? But
2: president Trump wants to get to
8: the truth. He wants to know what happened in 2016. And the American people have a right to know.
9: Right, but the president much, himself has said that he asked Ukrainian a foreign government to company. investigate his domestic political rivals. So is that okay with you?
8: I, I, don't, I, I don't believe that's the case. And again, but I, I, I know he that's the way he that... he said it. The president said it. I know that's said the way it. Chairman Schiff characterized it in the his manufactured version the of the transcript. But the American people should read the transcript, and they will see that the president did nothing wrong. There was no pressure. There was no quid pro quo. The president simply raised issues uh, of, of importance and interest to the American people.
9: Well, Anderson, the uh, vice president's handlers uh, quickly ended the gaggle right after those comments. But you heard him there saying that President Trump, uh, he doesn't believe President Trump asked a foreign power, asked Ukraine to investigate uh, Joe Biden, his political rival. We all know that is not true. How do we know that? Because the president has said that. We know it. We've seen it in the transcript, as you know, that the White House released to the public. And we also know it because the president, as you just heard, doubled down. Uh, on the White House lawn. We heard that in your introduction. So, uh, for some reason, Vice President Pence just will not accept that, no matter how many times I tried to tell him that there uh, yeah, today. Mean, I, very I, strange experience. I
1: mean, he could read. I, I, I can't imagine he doesn't know the facts. He's just, uh, I mean, I, I mean, he you know, likes to seem as if he believes everything yeah. he says, but it just seems hard to imagine. I mean, the president called on China to investigate uh, uh, one of the most repressive regimes around, right. the idea that, uh, yeah... It's amazing. And no, right. uh, it doesn't surprise me that
9: they ended only the gaggle. not was saying it, but there were other reporters. Yeah. Yeah, but there were other reporters even weighing in, backing me up, saying he said it on the White House lawn. Right. He doubled down on the White House lawn and still would not accept it.
1: All right, Randy, it's a thankless task. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Uh, before I hand it over to Chris, don't miss Full Circle or our Digital News Show. You can catch it streaming live weekdays 5 p.m. Eastern at CNN.com slash Full Circle. Or you can watch there later on demand. That's it for us. I want to hand it over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. Chris.